Sri Sai Sacharitra, The Wonderful Life and Teachings of Shirdi Sai Baba, A Modern Rendering. Chapter 32 Banyan Tree Allegory In the beginning, Ahmad Pant describes samsara through an allegory of a banyan tree. In the words of the Gita, the banyan tree has roots above and branches below. Its branches are spread downwards and upwards and are nourished by the gunas. Its sprouts are the objects of the senses. Its roots, leading to actions, are extended downwards to the world of men. Its form cannot be known in this world, nor its end nor its beginning, nor its support. Cutting the banyan tree of its strong roots with the sharp weapon of non-attachment, one should seek the path beyond, treading where there is no return. For traversing this path, the help of a good guide is absolutely necessary. However learned a man may be, or however deep his study of sacred literature, he cannot go to his destination safely. If the guide is there to help him and show him the right way, he will avoid the pitfalls and the wild beasts on the journey, and everything will go smoothly. The Quest for God the following is a story that Baba gave of his own experience in this matter, which is really wonderful. It gives the reader faith, devotion, and liberation. Once four of us were studying religious scriptures and books, and being informed by doing this, began to discuss the nature of Brahman. One of us said that we should raise the self by the self, and not depend on others. To this, the second replied, that he who controls his mind is blessed. We should be free from thoughts and ideas, as the world doesn't exist without these. The third said that the world is always changing, and only the formless is eternal so we should discriminate between the unreal and the real. And the fourth person, Baba, said bookish knowledge is worthless, and added, Let us do our prescribed duty and surrender our body, mind, and life to the Guru's feet. The Guru is God and all-pervading. To have this conviction, never-ending faith, is necessary. Discussing in this way, we four learned men began to ramble through the woods in search of God. Three of them wanted to make the search through their intellectual efforts alone. On the way, a merchant in a bullock cart met us and asked 
It is hot. Where and how far are you going? To search the woods, we replied. He inquired, On what quest are you bound? We gave him an ambiguous and evasive reply. Seeing us rambling aimlessly, he was moved and said, Without knowing the woods fully, you should not wander at random. If you want to walk through the forests and jungles, you should take a guide with you. Why do you exert yourselves unnecessarily in the noontime heat? You may not tell me your secret quest, but still you can sit down, eat bread, drink water, take rest, and then go. Be always patient at heart. Though he spoke so tenderly, we discarded his request and marched on. We thought we were self-contained men and needed no one's help. The woods were vast and without any trails. The trees grew so close and tall that the sun's rays could not penetrate them. So we lost our way and wandered here and there for a long time. Ultimately, through sheer good luck, we came back to the place where we started. The merchant met us again and said, Relying on your own cleverness, you missed your way. A guide is always necessary to show us the right way in small or great matters. And no quest can be successfully carried out on an empty stomach. Unless God wills it, no one meets us on the way. Do not discard offers of food. This food should not be pushed away. Offers of bread and food should be regarded as auspicious signs of success. After saying this, he again offered us food and asked us to be calm and patient. Again, my companions did not like this unsolicited hospitality and discarded his offer and left again. Without taking any food, the three of them continued on on our journey. So obstinate were they. I was hungry and thirsty, and I was moved by the merchant's extraordinary love. We thought ourselves very learned, but were strangers to compassion and kindness. The merchant was an illiterate, an unqualified fellow, and belonged to a low caste. Still he had love in his heart and asked us to eat bread. He who loves others without ulterior motives is truly enlightened. So I realized that accepting his hospitality was the best beginning of knowledge. So very respectfully, I accepted the loaf of bread ate it, and drank water. Then, lo, at once, the guru stood before us. What was the dispute about? he asked. And I told him everything that had happened. Then he said, Would you like to come with me? I will show you what you want but only he who believes in what I say will be successful.
the others did not agree to what he said and left him. But I bowed to him reverently and accepted his command. Then he took me to a well, tied my feet with a rope, and hung me from a nearby tree, upside down by my feet. I was suspended three feet above the water, which I could not reach with my hands, nor could I drink any water with my mouth. After suspending me like this, he went away, and no one knew where. After four or five hours, he returned, quickly removed me and asked me how I fared. In bliss supreme, how can a fool like me describe the joy I experienced? I replied. On hearing my answer, the guru was much pleased with me, drew me near him, and stroking my head with his hand, kept me with him. He took care of me as tenderly as a mother bird cares for her young ones. He put me into his school. How beautiful it was. There I forgot my parents. All my attachment was snapped, and I was liberated easily. I thought that I should embrace his neck and remain staring at him always. If his image was not fixed in my pupils, I would prefer to be blind. Such was the school. No one who entered it once could leave empty-handed. My guru became my all-in-all, my home and property, mother and father, everything. All my senses left their places and concentrated themselves in my eyes, and my gaze was centered on him. My guru was the sole object of my meditation, and I was conscious of nothing else. While meditating on him, my mind and intellect were stunned, and I had to keep quiet and bow to him in silence. There are other schools where you see an altogether different scene. The disciples go there to seek knowledge and spend their money, time, and labor, but ultimately they regret their time there. The guru boasts of his secret knowledge and straightforwardness. He makes a show of his sacredness and holiness but he is not tender at heart. He speaks a lot and sings of his own glory, but his words do not touch the disciples' hearts, and they are not convinced. So far as self-realization is concerned, he has none. How can such schools be of any use to the disciples, and how can they benefit? the guru mentioned above was of a different type. By his grace, realization flashed upon me on its own, without effort or study. I did not have to seek anything. Everything became clear to me as broad daylight. 
Only the guru knows how topsy-turvy suspension, upside down by the feet, can give happiness. Among the four, one was a ritualist who only knew how to observe or abstain from religious rites. The second was a yani, a person of knowledge, who was puffed up with the pride of knowledge. And the third was a bhakti, who surrendered himself completely to God, believing that God was a sole doer. When they were discussing and arguing, the question of God turned up, and they, depending on their knowledge alone, went in search of him. Sai, who was discrimination and dispassion incarnate, was one of the four. Being himself Brahman incarnate, some may ask, why did he mix with the others and act foolishly? He did this for attaining the good of the people, to set an example for them to follow. Though an incarnation himself, he respected a lowly merchant by accepting his food with the firm belief that food is Brahman. He showed how those who rejected the merchant's hospitable offer suffered and how it was impossible to get knowledge without a guru. The Shrutiti Turiya Upanishad encourages us to honor and worship Mother, Father, and Guru, and to study the sacred scriptures. These are the means of purifying our minds, and unless this purification is done, self-realization is not possible. Neither the senses nor the mind and intellect reach the self. Modes of proof, such as perception and deduction, will not help us in this matter. It is the grace of the Guru that counts. The aims of our life, such as Dharma, Artha, and Kama, are attained with our effort. But the fourth aim, moksha, can only be had with the help of the guru. In the masjid reception area of Sri Sai, many personalities appear and play their part. Astrologers come and give their predictions. Princes, noblemen, ordinary men, poor men, sannyasis, yogis, songsters, and others come for darshan. Even an untouchable comes, and making his salutation, says that this sigh is the true parents who will do away with the rounds of births and deaths. So many others, such as jugglers, artisans, the blind, the lame, nanpanthis, dancers, and other performers come and are given suitable reception. Biding his own time, the merchant also appeared and played the part assigned to him. Let us now go to the following story.
Fasting is not allowed. Baba never fasted, nor did he allow others to do so. As the mind of the person fasting is never at ease, then how could he attain his paramatma? God is not attained on an empty stomach. First, the soul has to be appeased. If there is no food and nutrition in the stomach, with what eye should we see God? With what tongue should we describe his greatness? And with what ears should we hear the same? In short, when all our organs get proper nutrition and are sound, we can practice devotion and other sadness to attain God. Therefore, neither fasting nor overeating is good. Moderation in diet is wholesome both to the body and the mind. Mrs. Gokhale came to Shirdi with an introductory letter to Dada Kelkar. She came to Baba with a determination to sit at Baba's feet, observing a three-day fast. The previous day, Baba said to Dada that he would not allow his children to starve during the holy holidays, and that if they starved, why was he there? Next day, the woman sat at Baba's feet. Baba at once said to her, Where is the necessity of fasting? Go to Dada Bhatt's house, prepare a dish of puram pulis, and feed his children and yourself too. The holy holidays were on. Mrs. Kelkar was on her menses, and there was no one to cook in Dadabat's house. So Baba's advice was very timely. Mrs. Gokale went to Dadabat's house and prepared the dish as directed, and fed the others and herself. What a good story, and how beautiful its import. Baba's Master Baba gave a story of his boyhood as follows. When I was a youngster, I was in search of bread and went to Badegum, where I got embroidery work. I worked hard, sparing no pains. The employer was very much pleased with me. Three other boys worked before me. The first got 50 rupees, the second 100 rupees, and the third 150 rupees. I was given double the total of all these, 600 rupees. After seeing my cleverness, the employer loved me, praised me, and honored me with a full dress a turban for the head, and a robe for the body. I kept this dress intact without using it. I thought that what a man might give does not last long and is always imperfect. But what God gives lasts to the end of time. No other gift from any man can be compared to his.
my master says, take, take. But everyone comes to me and says, give, give. Nobody listens carefully to the meaning of what I am saying. My master's treasury is full. It is overflowing. I say, dig out and take away this wealth in cartloads. The blessed son of a true mother should fill himself with this wealth. The scale of my fakir, the lila of my bhagawan, the aptitude of my master is quite unique. What about me? The body will mix with earth, breath with air. This time won't come again. No matter where I go or where I sit, the hard maya troubles me very much. I always feel anxiety for my men. He who does any spiritual endeavor will reap its fruit, and he who remembers my words will get inestimable happiness. Pranams to Sri Sai. Peace be to all. You've been listening to a modern rendering of Hamad Pant's The Sri Sai Satcharitra, The Wonderful Life and Teachings of Shirdi Sai Baba, edited and narrated by Monica Penaconda. For more content like this online, please go to divinelineage.org, saifamily.org, and peacefires.org. To learn more about Monica, please go to monicapinaconda.org